Well, I'm thankful tonight, like I said, that the Lord loved me. He didn't just say he loved me, but he proved his love for me. And uh, that certainly is a great God and a great Savior. So, amen. Well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. Thank you once again for being here on a Wednesday night. <coughs> and uh, it's good to be in church. I will be back on Sunday, doing the services Sundays, so hopefully you won't be uh, sick of me by then. But uh, thanks for opportunities. And like I said, this was not originally my plan to be here tonight, but I guess it was God's plan. So I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. <coughs> and we're going to start in verse number 4. This is Paul speaking to the Christians at the church at Corinth. And he says in verse number 4, he says, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it, but, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to be in church. Thank you once again for uh, each one gathered here tonight. And Father, I'm thankful, as I said, uh, that Lord, you loved me and you loved us and you loved this world so much that you died on the cross for our sins. And not only that, but that God, you rose again on the third day to prove that you were who you said you were. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. And God, right now I plead that blood. And God, I pray that you would just wash me in it and cleanse me, Father, that my heart uh, would be right towards you, that my mind would be right towards you, God, that there'd be nothing, uh, Lord, to stop you from using me tonight. Uh, God, these, these folks, uh, made an effort and made the decision to be here on a Wednesday night when they could be doing other things and be other places. And God, I want it to mean something tonight, Father. And so, Lord, if these folks gathered here tonight just come and, and just hear some words that I say, it's not going to mean anything. But, Father, if you would get me out of the way, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. And these folks wouldn't hear from me, but they'd hear from your Holy Spirit. God, that's what would make a change. It would make a difference and what would make an impact in their life. And so, God, that's what I'm asking for tonight, for your power and your help, because I can't, and I don't want to do this tonight in my own flesh and ability. And, God, as was said, I, I was not supposed to be here tonight. It was not man's plans for, for me to be behind this pulpit. Uh, but, God, you put it together that I'm here. 
And so, Father, I trust that you have a reason for that and a purpose for that. And I pray, like I said, God, that I would not get in the way of that tonight. So, Father, please help me. Please calm my mind and uh, just my spirit. Father, that that the things that come from my mouth would, would come from you, that you'd give me the love I need, the, the power I need, the wisdom I need to bring forth your word in a way that's pleasing to you. So, Father, please help us tonight. Please speak to us tonight. We need you very much. God, help me to preach as a dying man to dying men. And I'll be sure to give you the praise and glory and honor because you're the one that deserves it. And we pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So as we get here to second Corinthians chapter seven, uh, we find that Paul is talking to the Christians at Corinth about sorrow and about repentance. And we find that he's doing that because Paul had caused them to sorrow with the rebuke that he had given them in the previous book. Um, you see in verse number eight of second Corinthians chapter seven, he says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, And he's referring to 1 Corinthians, and if you go back, we won't go through it for sake of time, but if you go back through 1 Corinthians, you see that Paul had some pretty harsh stuff to say to the church at Corinth. I mean, from from talking about how they're carnal because one's saying I'm of Paul and one's saying I'm of Paulus and that type of thing, to calling them kind of babes in Christ and not knowing any better, and just thing after thing after thing to this church where he kind of put his finger in their face and said, hey, you've got some changes that need to be made. Uh, he was, he was pretty upfront and direct in saying there's some things that need to be made right in your lives and in your church. Uh, and we see it caused him to sorrow. We see it brought about some things. I don't want to get ahead of myself in that, but that's kind of the context of what he's writing here about the sorrow that he had caused and, and some things that he had said to them, some tough things and some hard things. Uh, but there were some reasons behind that. I just want to kind of jump right into it tonight, thinking about uh, about the sorrow and repentance that he's talking to at this church at Corinth. I want to say first off tonight that Paul didn't apologize for causing them to sorrow, that Paul didn't apologize for causing them to sorrow. In verse number 8, Now, the Bible says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season, now I rejoice. Not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing." And so not only did he not, he he wasn't writing this church saying, man, it was my bad, or, you know, I was wrong to point some of these things out, or I'm sorry for doing those things. In fact, he says, but I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that there was some sorrow to repentance. He said, I'm happy I said these things. I'm glad these things got to you in such a way that caused some sorrow and caused some repentance in your life. And the reality is, church, is that sometimes God uses uh, his word, God uses your pastor, God uses the preacher to bring about some sorrow or some repentance uh, or some conviction in your life. That's the point sometimes that God wants to use these men or his word, and especially when it comes to the preacher, it's even in a sense his job sometimes to say some things, to point out some things, to to get on sin a little bit, to to maybe, and uh, I mean, you know, I I don't know how well I would have done if Paul would have came to my church and said some of the things to me that he said to this church at Corinth, you know, come and be like, hey, you're really carnal and you're a baby and all this kind of stuff. Like, it'd be hard kind of to accept. But sometimes that's what the man of God needs to do. Sometimes he does need to get in our face and say, hey, this is wrong in your life and from the authority of the word of God, not just because this is my opinion or not just because this is what I think, but from what the Bible says, there's some things that need to change. Keep your spot here, but go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse number 1. 
2 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. This is Paul talking to Timothy, a young preacher, a young man in the ministry. And he says in verse number 1, I charge thee therefore before God. So he's saying, this is, this is my, in a sense, command to you. These are things you're supposed to do. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead in his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And so we see that, that, that Paul's commandment to this preacher was, you know what you need to be doing? You need to be preaching the word, right? Not your opinions, not your, what you think needs, but you need to preach the word of God. And while you're doing that, there's three things that should come from that. Reprove and rebuke and exhortation. And when you look at those things, two of those things are in a negative context. Right? Reproving and rebuking is pointing out some wrongdoing in the life of someone and saying, hey, this isn't right according to God's word and, and you need to change it. Even reproving, I'm trying to think exactly what the, the definition, the dictionary it says, but I believe it says something along the lines of confronting someone about their fault to the, to their face. Right? It's not, it's not like behind or being like, hey, maybe it's like, no, this is wrong and it needs to change. And rebuking is saying, hey, these, these things got to change in your life. What you're doing is wrong. And that's what Paul says uh, to this preacher. It's, 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 it's your job to do these things. It's what God expects of you as you're trying to preach the word. And so understand that the preacher isn't doing his job if he doesn't reprove and rebuke. And now, yes, there should be exhortation, right? It shouldn't be every time the preacher gets up behind a pulpit, he's always just, you know, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. That There should be some exhortation. There should be some encouragement. There should be some, hey, let's keep going for the Lord Jesus Christ and good job for the things that you are doing right. But once again, two out of those three things, the majority of things are reproving. And rebuking, and it's a shame today in the world and in churches that, that people don't like that. Right? The Bible says uh, about the last times and last days that, that, that men shall have tickling ears or itching ears, wanting, wanting people to just come along and just tell them how great they are, and you're fine, and I'm fine, and God loves us all no matter what we do or how we act, and we're all just good. Well, that's not always the case, right? Because sometimes I do the wrong thing, and I need to be told that I'm wrong. And Christian and, and, and church, I, I wouldn't give five cents for a preacher that wouldn't be willing to stand up and from the word of God say, this is what the Bible says, and these are some things of the way you need to live your life and act. And so just understand that, that that's part of the job, right? That's part of what a preacher's job is to do those things. But, but understand as we think of that, that the reason the, the preacher or the man of God, your pastor, does these things is, is he's, not, he's, he's trying to help you, not hurt you. Right. And, and I understand, too, because I, I don't like to be told that I'm wrong and I don't know everyone here very well, but I can pretty much guarantee you don't like to be told that you're wrong either. None of us do. And so sometimes it's hard when the preacher gets up or the pastor gets up and says, this is this is the Bible. I mean, it's not necessarily like, hey, you know, so and so you're doing this, and, but just saying this is what the Bible says is right. And it goes against what we're doing. And it's kind of like, I don't really like listening to it that much. And it's easy for us to kind of get a bad attitude or to get bitter, to get mad at the, at the man, right? Who's just the messenger, just saying what God told him to say. It's easy to kind of get cross with him. But understand, like I said, that he's trying to help you, not hurt you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse number 9, notice what Paul says here. He says, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. And so what does Paul say? 
He wasn't saying, I just had an issue with you, so I pointed out all these things I didn't like that you were doing. You know, I was just mad, or I was just upset, or I was having this hard time. No, he says, I I wanted to bring about some repentance, and I don't get too far ahead of myself, but I I want you to get right with the Lord. Right? I want you to be in a spot in your life where God can bless you and God can use you and God can be there for you and this sin is stopping those things from happening. And so I'm trying to bring about uh, the Lord to work on your life to bring you some to repentance to get right, not to damage. Right? He says that, uh, uh, that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. Not to be mean, not to be nasty, not to just run you into the ground or, or make your life more difficult. All those types of things that the devil likes to tell us that that's why the preacher's saying what he's saying. But he was trying to help, not hurt. And not only that, but the preacher does it because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. In verse number 12, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible says, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered the wrong, but our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. He's saying, I'm doing it because I love you. Right? And understand, if someone loves you and, and actually loves you, they're going to be willing to say hard things to you. Right? They're actually going to be willing to point out when something in your life is wrong that could hurt you down the road. Right? If you have a friend that you care for and you see your friend doing something that isn't right or it's going to hurt, you're, you're going to want to tell them, hey, you need to stop because I see the end result. Those of you with kids, Right, there are times where you've had to correct your kids and your kids probably didn't like it a whole lot when you had to tell them no or stop doing it. Or, but why'd you do it? Because you were just being mean or nasty or just wanted a reason to yell at your kids. I mean, I know your kids would be like, yeah, that's the reason. But no, it's because you cared for them. You know, and when maybe I was a little kid and just because, you know, being a whatever little boy and just my brain's not fully developed, all that kind of stuff, you know, and you have like the hot stove and you're just like, oh, I want to go touch that. Or I have, you know, a fork and I see an outlet. So I want to go plug my fork in the outlet. You know, what would my parents do? No, you know, smack the hand, do what? Why? Because they're trying to be mean? No, because they understand there's some hurt that's coming along. And so I want to stop you from doing that thing that's going to hurt you, even though me as a kid, I didn't understand it. I didn't realize it. But it was the point behind it. And many times I'm afraid, and and especially even with some of these preachers, you know, they like to put on this facade of, well, I just don't want to say anything mean because I just love my people so much and I just don't want to, you know, get on their back. But really, it's it's a selfish type of love. Right? They don't say those things, not because for their benefit, because it was for their benefit they'd say what needed to be said. But if I, if I preach on this sin, if I point this thing out that's gonna hurt in life, well they might not like me then. Well they might leave the church then, or they might not give my, or whatever it is. And what is it? It's just a selfish type of thing. If I don't wanna do it, because it's not gonna turn out good for me. And that's not what love is. Love is always getting, giving, not getting. And if you really care for someone and love them, you're going to try to, to help them not hurt themselves and not get put in a position where bad things are going to happen. And that's why Paul said what he said. Yeah, when he was saying you're carnal and yeah, you're, you're acting like babes in Christ. Yeah, that comes across as kind of harsh and kind of mean. And, and why would Paul say it's because Paul knew some things. And Paul knew some of the hurt and some of the bad spots that was put in this church at Corinth. And he was saying, hey, don't do those things. Don't be like that because it's not going to turn out good for you. And he did it because he cared. And even if you go to 2 Corinthians, uh, we're in verse chapter 7, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look what he says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 2, 1. He says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that 
excuse me, my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. See what he says there when he's writing these things as church of Corinth? Man, with, with, with much affliction and anguish with heart. Right? With tears I wrote this unto you. So once again, he wasn't penned as being like this stupid church of Corinth and these carnal Christians and why don't they get it and what's wrong with them and that. No, it, it, it broke his heart that he had to say these things. He was, he was saying, man, I don't want, cause I'm afraid how you're gonna respond to me and if I make you sorry, who's gonna make me joy, you know, glad and, and this isn't what some, but I care for you. But I love you and so I'm gonna tell you the things that need to be said for your benefit even if it doesn't turn out the best for me because of it. That's true love. And I think that's a good example, too, to preachers or to anyone that's in any type of ministry or even to parents or for Sunday school te- people that deal with others. Sometimes we can get in that spot, right? Where we just get kind of upset with people or we get just, you know, whatever. People just don't learn. People don't get it. And it's easy to get cross. But how many times have we had that same attitude toward the people that we minister to? Right? When's the last time we had to correct someone or, or, or talk to someone and be like, this is wrong and you need to change but we did it with that same attitude of love and care and it like broke our hearts that we had to do that instead of just, well, this is the third time that they've done it and I have to tell them, like, where's our heart on that matter? But Paul was a great example in that. But just once again, the point I'm trying to get across is, is he didn't apologize for it. He was glad that he brought some sorrow because he was doing it out of a care and love for them. And praise the Lord for some men of God and, and preachers that get up and yes, every once in a while you you find some preachers that I just want to get into all that that maybe don't handle themselves the best way but I'm thankful for men like my pastor I believe like your pastor that that do care for the sheep that do care for the people that they minister to and are willing to say some hard things but they're willing to say it because of the care and the love that they have for us of saying hey this I'm doing this for your good and for your benefit and so I see first off as we look at second Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul didn't apologize for causing them to sorrow but number two what I want to point out is that Paul didn't want them to just be sorry. He wanted them to sorrow to repentance. He didn't want them to just be sorry. He wanted them to sorrow to repentance. If you look in um, verse number 9, Paul says, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so he wasn't just saying, man, I just, I wanted you to feel bad about your sin. He said, no, I wanted some repentance and some sorrow that caused repentance and a change in your life. Because here's the thing, Christian, God doesn't want you to just feel bad about your sin because you got caught. Right? He doesn't just want you being all just like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble because I did this and God pointed it out, so that's why I need to change. You know, it reminds me of, uh, of you know, when I was, once again, a kid. I was a bad kid. I was just rotten and, and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, you know, when I was an adolescent kid, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, we had a, a video game system uh, that I liked to play. And so, of course, you know, you had your time limits, but being just a dumb kid, you know, I wanted to exceed those time limits. So sometimes maybe like at night, I would I would wake up when we were supposed to be in bed and play video games, right? Well, there were times where I would get caught doing something that I wasn't going to do. And while I was doing it, I was fine. But you know, when my dad turned on the light and came downstairs, and my dad's a pretty good-sized guy that knows how to handle a paddle pretty well. Um, when he was coming down, like, I started to feel sorry. 
right? And when, you know, he turned my butt five shades of red, you know, I was, I was really sorry then, right? And crying, I'm sorry. But you know what I was sorry about? Not that I had disobeyed my parents, not that it was wrong. It was that I got caught and I got punished for it. And so, yeah, maybe for a week or whatever, I wouldn't do it. But then guess what? I'd want to play video games again. It'd be night and I get it. And what was that? Once again, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was sorry. And I said, I'm sorry. And But it was just because I didn't want the punishment, right? I I didn't want to just not feel bad. I wanted to try to escape something. And Christian, the world's repentance has no heart change. They just want a quick way to feel better or get out of trouble. And so, yeah, they'll say they're sorry, but a lot of times it's just when they get caught. And and, and thinking about, like, the application to us, you know, there have been times, uh, you know, where maybe, yeah, you know, we're in something we ought not to be doing, and whether it's through the preaching or, 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 or through the Bible, God kind of points it out. And, yeah, we have a little bit of sorrow about it, right? Like, oh, boy, God pointed this out that it was wrong, and, and you know, especially if I know my Bible and I know what it says or the preacher talked about it, like, I'm going to, uh, some bad stuff's going to come because of it. I'm not going to be blessed. And so, oh, yeah, I need to get this right, right? And we maybe even pray or do some things. But then it goes a little while, and then we go right back to the thing that we did. Why? Because, well, when we were convicted about it and when we realized, oh, hey, there's some punishment, well, I don't want to get punished. I don't want to have this bad feeling, so I'm going to get right. And then some time goes along, and then that kind of feeling passes, and it's not as a big deal to us to, to not do those things. Or just, and once again, I, I try to be just real when I preach and just use personal life examples. Uh, but, you know, I know times in my life, or maybe, you know, maybe I, I'm watching, you know, a TV show or something like that. And maybe the Lord convicts me that it's not something that I should be watching. Not anything that's like horribly terrible or whatever. Maybe there's just some stuff in it that God's like, you just, you shouldn't be watching that, right? You, as a Christian, whatever, and you end up, what, you just, it's not good for you to watch that. And so what happens? You know, you're kind of like, well, you make excuses, all that kind of stuff. Well, then maybe, you know, uh, Sunday comes around and I'm preaching on Sunday and the Lord convicts me of it. And you know what I know? Because, I mean, I grew up in church. I've been around the Bible. Well, if I have sin that God's convicting me of my life, well, then when I get up to preach Sunday, I'm not going to have God's power. God's not going to bless it and God's not going to use it. And I don't want that. So what happens? Okay, you know, yep, God, you're right. I shouldn't watch it. You know, I'm not, you know, please forgive me, all that kind of stuff when it's time for the message. And then Sunday, by the time, you know, the services are done Sunday evening, well, that's like, oh, I think I'll go watch that TV show or whatever it is, right? Why? Because my, my sorrow, my sorry was just, well, I want to, I want to, I want to get this right so nothing bad comes from. It. I just want to get this right so, you know, I can get the blessings of God. But now that that's passed, well, it's not as big of a deal to me now to, to do those things. And, and, and that's the sorrow, uh, of the world. And that's what he says in verse number 10, for godly sorrow, Worketh repentance of salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I think that's sometimes why we have to be careful with dealing with people and especially, uh, you know, leading someone to Christ, not just getting them to just say some words or just say a quick prayer or whatever. And I, don't get me wrong, I think salvation is very easy and anyone can do it. I don't think it's some hard, difficult thing. But sometimes I think people just think that God just this kind of shiny add-on to their life of, oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll just say this prayer quick and I can be saved. And I, once again, I, I do not believe in lordship salvation. I don't believe it's one of those things where if someone gets saved and they don't have, you know, works to show, that means they're not saved. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm just saying we live in a world today where people don't like that, that, that bad feeling, right? And so when it comes to salvation, it's not like, man, I've really wronged God and, and I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but I'm accepting Christ's gift. It's just, uh, well, I feel bad because he said I'm going to go to hell and I don't want to do that. So if I just pray this prayer quick and then they go their way and it hasn't really made much of a difference or repentance in their life. Right. There's not that heart of like, no, I need to change. I've done something wrong. 
And that's once again something between them and God, and I, I don't think it's our place to say, well, they did this then or they did that, so that means they're saved, not saved, all that kind of thing. But the point being is, is, is what kind, what kind of repentance do we have? Is it just a sorry, or is it a sorry to repent? And another example of just being sorry, go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, just to try to uh, show the point I'm trying to get at with this. 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. This is where, uh, God tells the Israelites to destroy the Amalekites and to kill their king and destroy everything and all that kind of stuff. And Saul doesn't listen. And so God tells Samuel to go straighten Saul out. And in verse number 20, the Bible says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because the Lord has rejected the word because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath also rejected thee from being king and Saul said unto Samuel I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice now therefore I pray thee pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord and we'll continue on here in a little bit but once again what's going on Samuel comes to Saul and says, hey, you did wrong. You disobeyed God. And because of that, God's rejected you from being king. And what do we see here? Yes, Saul says some good words, right? Like, okay, I've sinned and I've transgressed. But really, when I look at this, I don't really see a man who really seems like he feels like he's wronged God. Why? Because when he first, oh, well, I mean, I did what I was supposed to, but you see all the people? I mean, the people took of the stuff. Right, they're the ones that grabbed it. And even in verse number uh, 24, he says, I've sinned and transgressed. But then he says, because I feared the people. Right, I mean, like, okay, I just, but it's because of the people. Right, like, see how, how, how it's kind of their fault that I did what I did. And then even in verse number 25, now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Kind of that attitude of, okay, I said I'm sorry. Now come with me and do the things that you're supposed to do so I can worship God and be blessed by God. I don't really see much of an attitude of like, yeah, I really wronged God and did what was wrong. Continue reading. Uh, in verse number 26, it says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away. He laid, his, he, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. And so I see once again that Saul's focus and actions didn't seem a whole lot like they were on actually repenting and getting right with God. And I mean, this is like a pretty big deal of something wrong that he's done if God said, I'm, I'm done with you because of your sin. And I don't see him, you know, tearing his clothes or repenting in sackcloth or being like, man, I really, I really wronged God or, or saying, oh yeah, okay, I was wrong. Let me kill the sheep and kill all the things that we took or go kill the king instead of making Samuel do it. I see once again, okay, yeah, I've sinned. Now come with me and honor me in front of the sight of all the people. 
Right? Like saying those words that he knows he's supposed to be saying, but why? Because he wants, he, he wants to get past the bad stuff. He wants to be honored. He wants to be, not really much of an attitude of, okay, I really wronged God and he need to make this right. And I believe that's a, a picture of the world's repentance. And you know, we find it, it worked to death. Right? Because he was, he was rejected from being king. Where he said, God says, I've, I've taken it from you and given it to someone better than you. And I honestly believe here because you know what? Praise the Lord. We have a merciful and a gracious and a forgiving God. If Saul would have actually had a spirit of repentance and once again been like, okay, I'm, I'm instead of trying to focus on getting Samuel to come with me and making things, you know, how I want him to, instead I'm really going to focus on I've wronged God and Lord forgive me. And that's my, I think that story would have changed a little bit. I think maybe God would have looked and said, okay, he's really actually repentant about what he did. But I think God knew that Saul cared more just about getting out of trouble and getting past that bad feeling and getting blessed than he did actually that he had wronged God. And we got to be careful that that's not the same attitude that we have, like I said, in our lives. That our sorry and our sorrow isn't just, uh, I want to get past the bad things and I want to feel better, so I'm going to do this or say this or whatever needs to be done so things go better for me. Because I believe sorrow to repentance is a change in the heart. I believe it's a change to, uh, of what's going on in here, our mindset, our attitudes. Go to First uh, Kings chapter 21. I believe kind of a, a, a opposite example than what we just saw in the life of Saul. First Kings chapter 21. First Kings 21, verse number 25. This is where... Um, God sends the prophet to Ahab and basically tells him you're going to die and your kids are going to die and everyone in your family is going to die because of your wickedness. And in 1 Kings 21 and verse number 25, the Bible says, But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard these words, uh, the, the prophet saying all the judgment of God, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. You know what I see? That Ahab's sorrow caused a change in his life. Or this is the king that could eat whatever he wanted to eat, dress however he wanted to dress, act however he wanted to act, and do whatever he wanted to do. But whenever this judgment from the Lord comes and God says, hey, you're wrong in what you're doing, well, man, he tears his fancy clothes, he puts on some sackcloth, he fasts, white goes without eating, and goes about softly to where the point where God says, hey, you see my, you see Ahab, how he's humbled himself? Why? Because I don't think Ahab was just trying to get out of the bad stuff. I don't think Ahab just had a, just a bad feeling because I think Ahab realized that he had wronged God, that he had done some things he wasn't supposed to do. And I also see nowhere in this passage did Ahab go back to Elijah and say, hey, can you ask God to, you know, pass the judgment for me? Right? Like, see what I'm doing now? You know, I don't want to be judged. I don't want this bad stuff to happen. Let's some... No. And that's, praise the Lord, that's what God did because he saw his humility. But I believe Ahab's focus was just simply on I've wronged God and I need, to, I need to make this right because I've sinned. And I believe it was real 
and it was true repentance. Because, Christian, our sorrow should cause a change in our hearts and a desire to please God. Right? Once again, I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but I'm just trying to get that point across. Our sorrow should not just be a quick thing of just, I'll say this or do this to appease. It should be, okay, this thing that I did was wrong, and it displeased the Lord. And when I do it, it's not pleasing to God, so I need to make some changes in my life so that my life is pleasing to the Lord. And once again, going back to the whole, you know, salvation thing, and that's why I want to be very clear with that. Salvation should be someone realizing, like, hey, I've wronged God, and I deserve hell, and I want to make this right between me and the Lord, not just, okay, I want to do this thing quick so I can add something to it. And that doesn't make salvation difficult or, or once again, it doesn't mean, well, if someone gets saved and doesn't come to church or doesn't change their life completely, that means they didn't, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it should be a hard attitude of repentance, a hard attitude of, of, of man, this is wrong and it's displeasing to God and I want to, I want to make it right with God, uh, you know, regardless of maybe the other outcomes. And hey, when I got saved at six years old and, and yeah, not going to hell had a part in my salvation because I don't remember exactly what my dad preached about, but I can remember at the end of the message, I knew I was going to split hell wide open even as a six year old boy. And so I went up to him and I was crying. I'm like, I'm going to hell. I need to get saved. All that kind of stuff. And praise the Lord, God saved me from hell. And that's a great part of salvation. That's something that's you can tell. Hey, if you get saved, you're not going to hell. But I understood I had wronged God. I understood that I was a sinner before the Lord, right? Not that I just need to do something to get out. But God, I want forgiveness for the ways I've wronged you. And when it comes to our repentance, Christian, it should change how we look at our sin. Right? It, it, should, it should make a difference. Right? Once again, it's it's not... Like I said, with my example of, of, oh, hey, I'm preaching here Sunday, so I need to not watch this. I need to ask forgiveness so I can have God's blessing and power. And then as soon as Sunday's gone, I can go back to what I'm doing. It should be the next time I'm tempted to do that or, or partake of that, that the Holy Spirit comes along and says, that's not pleasing to God. And I say, you know what? Yeah. And I ask forgiveness for this and this isn't right. And I want to please the Lord. So I don't want to do this anymore. Or if I do mess up and maybe start watch that, I start to think, well, wait a minute. No, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't something right that I should be doing. This messes with my relationship and fellowship with God. So I need, I need to not be doing this. And what is that? It's not about the outcome. It's not about just getting out of trouble. It's not about just, uh, fixing how bad I feel. It's actually about wanting to please the Lord. And I believe that's part of this sorrow to repentance. And so Paul didn't want them to just be sorry. He wanted them to sorrow to repentance. But then lastly, number three, Paul points out the effect of godly sorrow in their lives. Right, That this godly sorrow that this church at Corinth had did have an impact then on how they lived their lives. In verse number 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible says, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear, in this matter. And what does Paul say? What, this is, this is, this has made a difference in your life. I can tell that you've actually had a godly sorrow that you just weren't sorry about it. You just weren't trying to get out of trouble, but you actually cared that the things you were doing were wrong. And so because of that, you made some changes to try to please the Lord. And Christian, if we have godly sorrow, it should have an effect on our lives. There should be some changes that we make. There should be some differences that go on. If we mean what we say when we come to God and he convicts us about something, whatever it is, right? And once again, we're made of flesh. 
right? So we don't always do the right thing. There have been many times where I have truly, honestly tried to get right with the Lord. And then because I'm just made of flesh and dumb, I go and do the thing, right? And it wasn't because I didn't care about, it was just because we're in our flesh. And so I'm not talking about here tonight that, man, if you get that thing right with God or get that thing right with God and then you go sin again that you really didn't mean it or you didn't, that's not what I'm saying. But there should be something inside of us that says, I, I want to do what's right and I want to please God and I want to make a difference in this thing in my life that the Lord's working on my heart about. And it should have an effect on our mindset and the choices that we make. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, just kind of an example of what I'm talking about here. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 25. 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 25, the Bible says, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So what do we see here? We see acknowledgement and then recovery. Because it says if God will give them repentance to what? The acknowledging of the truth. The, the actual understanding and knowing that what I'm doing is displeasing to God and, and he does not take pleasure in me doing that. Once again, with salvation, understanding I have sinned against God and I deserve hell for that. Right? I've wronged God and he's displeased with this. And in our lives, hey, I watched this thing, I listened to this thing, I said this thing, I did this thing. And it's not just a, well, I feel bad because it was pointed out. Or man, the preacher said that this bad thing's going to happen in my life if I don't get this thing right. But an actual acknowledging of the truth that God is not pleased with it, it breaks my fellowship with him, and he doesn't want, I, I realize that. And then what it says, uh, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. So it starts off with that understanding, that realization of, of this is not pleasing to God. He doesn't, and then there's some action with it, right? There's the recovering out of the snare that with the Lord's help, right? That, okay, now I'm going to make the changes to not, to not go through that same thing again. And praise the Lord, man, I'm, I'm so thankful salvation isn't about us being a better enough person or doing enough good. Salvation is simply, I'm accepting Christ and accepting his righteousness because I know I'm not righteous, amen. Praise the Lord, that's all salvation is, accepting Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. But in our Christian walk, and praise the Lord, we can still have God's strength and God's power and God's victory over these things. But there should be some then. Okay, this thing I'm watching isn't pleasing to God. You know what that means? The next time that I'm tempted, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my best to not, or, or pray and say, God, give me the strength to not do it, or I'm not going to listen to this type of music, or I'm not going to go to this place, or man, that next time that person's being really dumb to me, or cuts me off in the highway, and I want to say some choice words to, I'm not going to do it. Because it's wanting to have some action behind that. Because when it, when we get that meditation of the heart of, of, okay, this isn't pleasing to God, and I want to please to God, well, guess what? What's in your heart comes out. And so what you're dwelling on makes a difference in your life. And folks, it makes, it makes a world, a world, a world of difference when our convictions and, and the things we do and, and getting right and sin is once again, not just about trying to escape the consequences or the bad feeling, but it's actually about, I want to please the Lord. And regardless of what the outcome is, I want to do what's right because it pleases God and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, going back to Ahab, I don't know what all, 
but he wasn't just like, oh, hey, Elijah, see how I'm fasting and see how I'm doing this. So, so ask God to take away this judge. No, he was just like, man, I've wronged God and I need to, I need to show some realness of, of, I'm, I mean, I like to eat, amen? And so I don't like to fast. But that's what, that's what he did. He went without food, right? He didn't wear the nice clothes. He didn't, why? Because he was actually like, I, I did wrong and I need to get this right. And it was real repentance. And can I ask you, Christian, can people see the effects of godly sorrow in your life? Can I see it? They see a change that comes from the things when God works on your heart about something, about, about making a change and being different in your life. And verse number 11 again of 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, I'm not going to replace, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 11. He says, For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And Paul is just simply saying, I'm seeing some fruit from your repentance, right? That's why I can write and say, I'm glad you weren't just made sorry, but there was some sorrow to repentance because your actions show that there's been a change in your heart and your mindset. And can Christians and, and our family members and the people that come to our church, I mean, hey, the reality is we all sin and we all mess up right? Not one of us in here can be like, I do what's right all the time. I'm the associate pastor of my church and I mess up just as much as anyone else. I made a flip. And so that means I fail, right? That means I mess up. I've been out at Faith Baptist Church for two years. And guess what? There's things I can think of right now that I didn't handle situations correctly and I got in my flesh or I did some wrong things. But hopefully I'm mature enough and spiritual enough and and have a walk with God enough where he can work on my heart to realize when I do some wrong things that I want to make them right. Or I want to ask the Lord for forgiveness, or I want to go to that person and say, hey, I was wrong in this. Would you please forgive me? But if that repentance is is true repentance and a repentance, uh, a sorrow and repentance, you know what it means? That means then going forward, I'm going to do my best to do better in those situations, to do right in those situations, to not get in my flesh, to not say those things and not act that way. Because I really understand, man, I was wrong in this. And I acknowledge that the Lord isn't pleased with this. And so guess what? I want to have some actions now that, that, that please the Lord. And so there's so many times, right? We get in a bad situation with someone or we say the wrong thing or there's tension or whatever. And so what do we do? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, we're sorry because it's messed up our relationship or there's some bad. But then once all that's taken care of and done with, well, then we just kind of live our lives and we don't really think or care too much about what happened because it was like, oh, well, that's done and over. What's not need to care? Well, no, there should be some, well, no, I want to do the right thing moving forward. And especially, and I know it, it's the hardest, but hey, with people in your own home, right? Because the people in your own house see you and know you better than anybody else. And they see us at our worst, right? And you see them at their worst because you're actually, it's easy to come to church and have on, you know, I don't to say the facade or show like we're fake, but I mean, yeah, we can come to church and we're not going to yell at our kids the way we normally would yell at our kids or talk to our siblings the way we would or say that thing or do that thing. But then we can go to home and sometimes be a little bit different. And yeah, I was talking to teens, the teens last Sunday in the Sunday school about being an example. And I talked about that. I said, hey, your family should see in your own home you being a good example of the Lord, not just a church. Because something, and, and I've seen this time and time again, that puts a bad taste in, in the mouth of people is, is hypocritical Christians, right? And especially families and especially kids, 
that see their parents go to church and act a certain way and behave a certain way and act like they love God and then they go home and act a completely different way. If you want your kid to grow up and leave church and never want to be, do that. And whether it's not just parents, it's anything. And once again, now they're going to see us mess up and do wrong. We're not perfect. But there should be then some, hey, I was wrong in this. And whether I need to get right with God or whether I need to get right with you, I'm going to do my best to do that. And then moving forward, I'm going to do my best to stay right with God. They shouldn't just see you say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry I did that. And then two days later, do the exact same thing. And then two days later, do the exact same thing. Like, once again, we still have struggles and things we did. But they should see some fruits of repentance. They should see some things that say, well, yeah, mom and dad maybe did. But I can see them trying to, hey, my brother, my sister, my spouse. They, but they're trying to do what's, and that goes a long way. Uh, in all reality, my, my older brother, he's, uh, he's not currently living for the Lord or anything like that, but we, we grew up in a Christian home and stuff like that. When we were younger, uh, a thing we both kind of had a problem with, and he's five years older than me, so he was kind of the older brother looking up to and all that kind of stuff, but we struggled with music some, listening to the wrong type of music. And I can remember, you know, we could sneak it, and my parents were for it, but we would do things. There's ways, ways you can find to get around the, the rules and all that kind of stuff. And he would go up to this meeting, this big youth meeting, and I, I can remember one time he went up and went to this meeting and, 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 you know, got right with the Lord and, cause everyone was getting right with the Lord, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not gonna listen to that music anymore. And praise the Lord. And I'm thankful that when my brother did it, I kind of was like, no, I need to listen to this music too. And so then it went, a couple weeks, and then you know what happened? He went right back to listen to that same music. And that was hard on me, right? Because I'm looking up to my brother, and he's trying to get right. And so, okay, well, I want to get right and do the right thing. Well, then all of a sudden, that person I'm living with that, that had the repentance, and I don't know his heart, I don't know what all had happened, but then all of a sudden, he's going right back to that same thing. And that, that's difficult for me of looking up to him, of, of me trying to do the right thing then. And I'm thankful the Lord helped me to stay right and, and, and listen to the right. But it has an effect, and maybe for every one of, of me that the Lord gets the glory that, that, that stuck with the right thing, well, I guarantee you there's five, six, seven others that saw the person they look up to do that thing and then went back to the same thing or said, oh, this must not be very real, right? I mean, yeah, when you're in church and you're at the meeting and you can give your testimony, but then I really see how you are in your real life and it's, it, there's nothing to it, so I'm not going to really care too much about it. And Christian, that happens. I'm only 28, but I've been around Christian circles for, for quite a while. I grew up in church, went to a lot of meetings, been to a lot of churches, been to a lot of young people. And that's, like I said, the, the quickest way to, to give someone a bad taste for Christianity is, is, is to be fake or is to not have any realness to your walk with the Lord. And that does not mean, once again, that, that we're always perfect and we just never do anything wrong. But there should be that spirit of repentance. There should be that spirit of, I want to do the right thing. And even if I mess up and get wrong, which I will do, I'm going to do my best to make it right and keep doing right and keep moving forward for the Lord. And so do people... Do people see the, the, the effects of godly sorrow in your life? Do they see you actually wanting to do the right thing then and make things right and, and please God? And so the question is, as we bring this to the close, if, if we could have a piano player come forward, what, what kind of sorrow do you have in your life? And I don't know if this is as much of a convicting message as maybe it's just some things to think about. But like I said, when I was studying for this, thinking of times in my life where, like I said, where, yeah, the Lord worked on my heart about some stuff and told me some things and don't, but it was kind of just more of a, okay, well, I feel bad because God called me out on it. And I've been in church enough to know that there's consequences for sin. So yeah, I'm going to get it right. But then a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and I'm right back in that same thing. And not even that I'm back in that, 
but I've lost that care that it's wrong. I've, I, I, I don't have as much of a, well, man, this is wrong. It's just like, oh, I can get this until God comes along and says, no, that's wrong. But how many times have I had that heart of like, okay, God convicted me of this and God showed me it's wrong or told me it's wrong or used the preacher or whatever it is. And so I don't just want it to be, I'm trying to, you know, get out of jail free card. But I actually want, Lord, I, I want to please you. I understand this grieves you and this hurts my relationship with you. And so, Lord, moving forward, I want to do the right thing. And so the next time I'm tempted with that thing, there's at least something inside me that says, no, I ought not to be involved in that. Or if I fall again, it's, it's a quick without, you know, without God having to come be like, hey, you did wrong. Of my own accord, I'm like, no, this is wrong. And not just because I'm trying to escape some punishment because I want to be right with the Lord. And so how about you tonight, Christian? What kind of sorrow do you have? Is it just a sorry? Is it just a escape the bad feeling or the consequence? Or is it an actual, I want to be right with the Lord and I want God to be pleased with my life? And so let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes and just the piano is going to play something. Uh, just a time of reflection on the message tonight. If you want to use an altar, if you want to just sit at your chair and do some business with the Lord. But I'd like to just take some time to just think about the message. I'm going to be quiet here for a little while just to let the Lord minister to you, your heart. Hopefully he spoke to you about something. Maybe it was about this message. Maybe about something completely different. But if he spoke to you tonight, do some business with him. Maybe you have to say, Lord, I, I'm sorry because I'm in that spot, right? And even right now I'm thinking of some things that I told you I was sorry or I said I was sorry. But I'm not really that sorry because I know it's grieved you or because it's not... Ple- I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry because I'm afraid of, of, of some of the consequences. But maybe make that commitment of, Lord, I really want sorrow to repentance. And God, I really want to be pleasing to you. I don't want this to be about the outcome or the feeling, but but God, I want to be right with you. And I want to be pleasing to you. As the piano plays for a verse or two, you do business with the Lord as he speaks to your heart.